Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Today, West Virginia Beer Roads travels to Huntington, West Virginia, to Summit Beer Station. As many of you know, Summit is the premier craft beer outlet here in southern West Virginia. It's a place we've truly grown to love over the past decade. And I'm here with my co-host, Erin McCoy. So, Aaron, what do you like most about Summit Beer Station? Ah, definitely the selection. You know, here in the wild and at Summit Beer Station, we're currently sitting in the beautiful beer garden. Um, at about to have this uh, podcast interview, but the, the selection here is what I really like. There's a lot of unique beers here in comparison to other places as far as craft beer goes, and I, I thoroughly enjoy that. So for those of you who may not know, Summit Beer Station is the craft beer bar founded by Jeff McKay, and he is also one of our state's leading advocates for the craft beer industry, especially for beer retailers. And we're very pleased today to have Jeff McKay as our guest on West Virginia Beer Roads. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. Glad to be with you guys. So, Jeff, how's your summer going beer-wise here at Summit Beer Station? It's just more of the same. <laughs> you know, after 10 years, uh, uh, got it down to a science and uh, not too much changes every year, it seems like. All right. Well, for our listeners who haven't been here, in a nutshell, how would you describe your business model for Summit? As in, what, what are people going to find when they come visit? Yeah, I mean, over the last 10 years, we haven't really changed too much. We, we've primarily focused on European beer, and um, there's much of the same now than what there was 10 years ago. Not to say we're serving the same beers, but um, predominantly we have European beers. But outside of that, we'd like to focus on some of our favorite West Virginia uh, breweries and, and regional breweries as well. All right, well, what are some people going to not find when they come and visit some of Beer Station? Uh, so I mean, I don't know how much of a secret this is at this point, but we only serve independently made beer. So we, we don't have any, uh, beer here that is owned by major corporations mm-hmm. or, or soda, uh, corporations, <laughs> uh, uh, any number of other things, but yeah, all independently made, uh, beverages here. However, the Brewers Association decides, uh, <laughs> or determines a independent brewery and we're going to follow that, uh, for the most part. Well, guys, before we get any further along into the podcast, I want to say that Jeff has shared a beer with Aaron and I. And, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to introduce this first beer. Uh, to introduce this is to hear my uh, terrible French. <laughs> 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 yeah, so this is this is uh, Chimay's saint Cinquante, which is their 150th anniversary. Uh, it's their green label. Oh, wow. So this was a brand extension for them uh, for their 150th just a couple years ago. Uh, this was one of the highlights uh, uh, while I was at the brewery last year. Uh, they did not share the secrets for the, uh, I guess, unique aroma uh, of this. That uh, it has a, a, a very distinct um, herbal mm-hmm. uh, uh, note to it on the top. All they told us was it uh, it has one of the most valuable and sought after. Uh, <laughs> herbs on the planet and they weren't going to tell us what it was ah but they uh, did give you a little information they gave a little information. yeah very interesting i mean those belgians can be difficult guarding <laughs> their secrets on yeah it was all proprietary uh, <laughs> secrets there, did you when you were there and you got to try it did you get to try it right off the tap no we so they've got a 
close but disconnected tap room. Uh, and I, I had fortunately been able to, uh, to try it before I got to the brewery, but you know, the experience of being in, uh, near or in the monasteries uh, makes it taste a little better. No doubt. It's, yeah, it's and, delicious. And, uh, those Belgians, I mean, and even with this beer, I would think, is one that's probably bottle conditioned and, and that's a part of the process of making it taste the way it does. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's extreme care to, to Chimay's product, and um, uh, they know what they're doing after 150 years. So who am I to to say otherwise? And uh, and and part of the other reason I wanted to to drag this beer out of here is that we're one of a handful of Chimay ambassadors in the in the country. So I at least wanted to give them some props in this little old West Virginia. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like uh, I mean, it's, it's not a beer taste that you're going to find at most American brewers. Oh, that's correct. And uh, I, it, it hides the alcohol very well. Uh, surprise, it's 10%. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, my gosh. You, you, you would really never know it. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, they, they've, they've uh, honed in their craft yeah, after no, uh, this, this amount of time. You clearly would not know the ABV nope. on this. It's very smooth and easy to drink. Quaffle, quaffable, quaffable. Yeah, uh, definitely. Quaffable. Yeah, for a ten percenter, it, it's marginally quaffable. <laughs> I would guess. Well, guys, we're recording this podcast at the end of the month of June in West Virginia, and summer's moving along fast. Jeff, I'm curious, what's been hot this summer at the bar here at Summit, and uh, maybe as far as beer brands and beer styles go. Uh. I, I hate to, to rehash this answer for your, your, your listeners that have been <laughs> listening to you for a while, but it's much of the same that we uh, experienced last year. I mean, we're, we're so heavy on, on lagers uh, and specifically uh, uh, German pills. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, it, it's just, I, I never would have guessed this uh, because when, when I first opened up 10 years ago, the, the lager wasn't really on the radar and specifically pills was not on the radar. And just within the last I don't know, two or three years, uh, it, it, it's taken off. I mean, this is encapsulating both novices and experts, I would say. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, to see that style that, you know, 20 years ago, craft brewers didn't really want to make a lager because that was the purview of the, or, well, you know, the, the I guess the, the, they own, the big breweries own those, and we don't want to make those, you know, so we'll make ales. But that's not the only reason they didn't make, most of them didn't make lagers. Now they are, and uh, what we're seeing across yeah. America is that in craft breweries, small craft breweries, uh, they're making some great lagers. Mm -hmm. Anything, uh, though, any particular uh, beers that you're, I mean, I know you have a variety sometimes mm -hmm. of different lagers. I mean, what are some of the ones that are that are moving here? Uh, although it's been a little difficult to get a hold of as of late, I mean, uh, Rothaus uh, has been a, a staple for us the last two years. As far as I'm concerned, it's the best German Pilsner in the world. Uh, hard to <laughs> go wrong there. <laughs> so, uh, and what part of Germany is it from? The Black Forest region. Uh, All not, right. Not typically uh, what you would associate yeah. with, with Pilsner country. But, right. Yeah, not uh, the biggest uh, brewery area either of Germany. No, no, not like Bavaria not. or something. Yeah. Why, you said it was hard to come across of late. Is there a particular reason for that or many things uh, that influence I don't know. that? I, uh, I, I, I don't question the, the the slow boats and the shipping containers <laughs> understood, understood. <laughs> but we have a keg sitting in there right now so that's all that matters no ah, that is good and uh, we know what's moving but what kind of beer styles do you find that are declining in customer demand 
I, I hate to even say this, but sour beer for us. <laughs> wow. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, a lot of our customers are getting away from kettle sours. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've never really been heavy on kettle sours in the first place, but uh, I, I, I can pull up the numbers. They, they, I can see that they're, they're, they're dwindling. Yeah, uh, and that's very interesting because some of our breweries, the, the small breweries here, are still making those you know, quick sours, yeah. and they seem to think they're moving very fast. But that's interesting here. So you heard it. Sour, sours are declining. <laughs> sours in the in the in the among craft beer I, aficionados maybe are have already peaked. Yeah, and I, honestly, Charles, I think you know among the past few, several few podcasts that we've done, we haven't really heard that that overall. You know. They'll say it's okay. maybe starting to slow down, but not necessarily yeah. declining. Can, can I uh, can I split some hairs on this this answer too? Sure. Split away. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not including like lambic. That I'm not including right, right. goose. That I'm right. not well, including. Well, you did say kettle sour. Yeah. yeah. That, that <laughs> those are still selling well for us. It's it's the highly acidic, mm-hmm. low pH quick sours that that are really kind of going by the wayside yeah the quick sours i think that's even better because the quick sours uh when you say quick sour that's something it means it didn't take very long a few days to sour that beer and Mm -hmm. the traditional sour beers like your lambics and things are many many months of uh, aging usually in wood and other you know big tanks a little more delicate process yes Yes. very much yeah very much so well, while we all know that Summit is the place in the era to find incredibly good imported craft beers, you also try to stay on top of the West Virginia brewery scene. So how do you manage that and balance out the offerings on your taps? Uh, I, I hate to say this, but we're, we're serving uh, uh, probably the least amount of West Virginia beer we've ever served. Oh, no! I don't want to give the impression that I don't like West Virginia beer. It, it, it's just that the, the, the trends of our business, uh, the, the trends that I've seen over the last few years, we've been so heavily invested in European beer, and it's outpacing in a lot of the West Virginia Local. beer that we sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will say that all of the same West Virginia mainstays that we have down here are still well represented, but mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're, we're giving more and more of our line space to European beer. Oh, based I'm on sorry. customer demand. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you've always supported yeah. the local craft scene. I mean, clearly. Yeah. Uh, do do our West Virginia brewers do a good job of letting you know when they have a new beer that they're proud of and one that they want you to feature? I, you know, is there a lot of contact going on back and forth with the local scene? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any, any qualms at all. I mean, even some of the West Virginia breweries that have moved on and signed with a wholesaler there's still a a point of contact there uh, at the brewery getting hold of us sending us emails sure making sure that we're up to date Um, but uh, I only have so much space I can't serve all the the West Virginia beer sadly yeah and I think maybe part of the reason you're happy in your imported uh, little bailiwick is because our distributors in some cases anyway are, are bringing in more of those beers that mm-hmm. you could sell here mm-hmm. yeah and i i think that uh i mean to take a term from belgium they would call it specialty beer mm-hmm. uh so we we've always been uh, that's that's my wheelhouse uh so i uh, I, I force that on you you support that that's okay that's <laughs> it's not even that i support it i'm yeah. forcing it, this on you no hey listen <laughs> that's why we come to summit beer station because right. you have beers other people in the area do not have and it's not because the beer ain't good folks it is damn good beer at summit beer station that's right 
So over the past year or so, we've seen so many new beers enter the West Virginia market from other states. And especially even Ohio, I guess, right over here. And with Summit Beer Station sitting right on almost on the Ohio border here in West Virginia, which Ohio breweries have been over here that's produced some good sales for you? Yeah, I'm... Jackie's is the natural answer, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I told a friend uh, after Jackie's um, came into the market and, and came down to our anniversary last year and really blew it out of the water that uh, if I don't have a Jackie's beer on tap, just shut the business down uh, because I have failed. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's been that way since they've moved into the market. But I mean, we, we've also done really well with Urban Artifacts, uh, even though they still have some of those really highly acidic sour beers. I, I think our proximity to Cincinnati helps with those sure. sales. Uh, and the same yeah. with, with 50 West as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some, actually, funny enough, some really good Pilsners and loggers from, from 50 West. Yeah. Aaron and I uh, were up at uh, Jackie O's last week and did a podcast up there. And, you know, that's a brewery. It's outstanding, not just in our Appalachian region here. And, you know, it's like 30 miles out of West Virginia or maybe less, yeah. 20 miles. Uh, but it's it stands up with any of the better breweries around the country these days and overall. And uh, so what do you think is the key that, that they've those guys have discovered as how they could make beer that really is in such a variety of beer, too? Yeah, I, I think that they have. Um, oh, how do I put this? <laughs> so so uh, okay business 101 don't try to be everything yeah uh, right, right, right. and and they have really uh, <laughs> yeah they have learned to tightrope that uh they they have uh as far as beer is concerned they've covered all the bases and but i think the difference is they do everything amazingly well right so that that's the uh, that's the difference quality uh, yeah, yeah yeah it's it's, it's quality and quantity so They've covered all their bases for sure. And Jeff, beyond Ohio, are there any newer breweries or breweries that particularly stand out to you that you couldn't get before, but in the last year or two you've been able to get here? Uh, can I, can I adjust this? Uh, or question? what to like uh, <laughs> other breweries on your wish list that you yeah, wish would okay, come here? Yeah, okay, that's a better question. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God, this has been uh, a long time coming. For for years and years and years, I tried to get uh, Shelton Brothers in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point that they were ready to commit to buying a warehouse here, and and, and then they went street. bankrupt. And then they went bankrupt. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Dang. that's going way back. Yeah. But yeah. stake in the heart. Um, I, yeah. I've been in contact with Lime Ventures, who has taken over their portfolio. Mm-hmm. So over the last, I don't know, two or three years, we've been in, in contact. Uh, uh, sometimes frequent, sometimes not. Well, uh, initially, good. we were trying to get them to purchase that. Um, uh, temporary brewer's license to come to Rails and Ales last year. And, right. Uh, Test out it, the market. It, it just didn't work out. But they're coming. So uh, I'd, I've been um, chatting with the Drew Fontaine and rep. Uh, and explain that for the listeners that aren't oh, familiar sorry, with that sorry. name because we haven't had it here in West uh, Virginia. So Drew Fontaine is a Lambic brewery right outside of Brussels. Uh, if you're familiar with Brussels, they're just like a five-minute, ten-minute walk from the lot uh, train station uh, near Albiersol, uh, Island Blanche, uh, other Lambic breweries. But the, uh, many uh, consider Drey Fontaine to be one of the best, if not the best, uh, Lambic brewery in the world. 
We will yeah. soon have access to that. So. And was certainly one of the stars of the Shelton Brothers line when they were in oh, business. Oh, absolutely. And, and now of the new company. I mean, and, yeah. and, and uh, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that, that Cantillon is part of this portfolio. And uh, um, one, would, one would hope that we can get access to that as well. But they're not just Belgian beer. There's, there's very good German beer. There's... Uh, Pohila, uh, they're coming to cherry wine from from Scandinavia. It, it's all coming, so, so that, now that's what I'm excited it's going to be up to you and your great uh, persuasive powers to talk <laughs> your distributor into uh, getting these beers for you, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to out too many secrets yet, but the the, the wholesaler that they, they they chose is is going to do it right. They will knock it out of the park for them. So. That's exciting. Oh, um, yeah. I can't wait for that. Yes. I, I, I've got my fingers crossed that it'll be here in time for Rails and Ales. But oh, boy. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, you know, <laughs> speaking of Rails and Ales, many of our listeners probably know that Jeff McKay is a driving force behind the annual Rails and Ales Beer Festival that's held every summer in Huntington, West Virginia. So, Jeff, what is the date of this year's festival and what can we expect from it? It'll be August 12th. Uh, what to expect? This is our 10th year. Uh, big, big big celebration i hope yeah, i mean it's like a de facto yeah. 10th year because we've been yeah. in business now for 11 but, right you know, right right uh, uh everybody's memory short uh, from covid so. right right um uh, i i hate to give this stock answer again but <laughs> more of the same you know uh we we like at summit focus on uh, entirely independently made beer so um we'll we'll have expanded the cider selection this year as well so uh yeah good yeah uh and and the beer list is not set in stone so i can't it's give any way any secrets because i don't have any secrets yet, ah so. it is a uh, moving animal huh <laughs> yes yeah uh but the uh, the river the riverfront's in better condition this year uh renovations have been completed now for a year so thank goodness yes yeah. it was a bit of a muddy mess sorry about that <laughs> yeah I think we're hearing a few sirens, a little downtown background here. Yeah, in this beautiful beer garden, in yeah, case you're here. wondering what the background noise Huntington, is. Huntington, West Virginia. And I don't know, it's kind of this crowd that that's in town, too. <laughs> that's right. you know, it's a wild place now, downtown Huntington. gets crazier and crazier. Hey, um, when you talk about uh, the beers, though, that you're going to have at the festival, I mean, I think people got to be aware and i'll let you comment on this for sure that these are not just the normal beer festival beers that you get in west virginia normally yeah i, I think that's a function of the size of the brewery we are the the largest festival so um i don't, I don't want to say we push our weight but uh <laughs> we, we can get some of these things and yeah i mean there's different beers here than than a lot of the ones you see at other beer festivals yeah, and I I I, uh, I like to push the reps and like I say uh, send us something a little special for the VIP ticket yeah. holders. Yeah, and yeah. Let's let's treat them a little bit, of course. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't hurt to be pushy, especially when you're getting a beer festival. You want to have some unique selling propositions, you know, for a beer festival. And you're, what are you charging for a ticket this year? Oh. What is this, uh, a pop-up uh, quiz? Yeah, $75. <laughs> I forget. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm uh, not sure. I think VIP's 65 oh, and then general admission's 50 I see. That's a bargain. Yeah, I've, I've been to these festivals yeah. that are $75, <laughs> and then, and they're nothing better than what you, you guys put yeah. on here. In but don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, oh, well, please, all right. Uh, please consult eventbrite.com. Yeah, that's right. Rails and, and then Ales. write me an angry email. Yes, <laughs> in case you missed that. <laughs> I just assumed you would uh, be on the tip of your tongue uh, what the price was. but uh, No, yeah. that's exciting. I, I'm looking forward to it. 
So, Jeff, uh, speaking of being pushy, uh, you're a guy that's always been advocating for new laws and regulations that will make our West Virginia beer market a better craft beer market. Uh, We've had some new beverage alcohol laws go into effect recently here in the state. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there, there were two main wants for, for me at the beginning of the session. And um, uh, I've got some friends in the legislature who had reached out to me prior to the session. They said, give me your wish list. So I sent them. I don't know. Oh, a, yeah. A list of about like 50, 10, 50. 10 pages front yeah, and back, yeah. single it, spaced. It, it, was yeah. a, it was a lot. It was a book. So we, we, we dwindled that down. Yeah. Um, the, the, the main important, well, I don't want to say it. Okay. There were two. Make uh, focus. Yeah. Uh, the two that we really wanted to hit. Uh, one of which was allowing uh, somebody who, whose primary residence wasn't in West Virginia right. to open up a brewery. And then and, uh, with that... Uh, somebody who lived elsewhere and owned a brewery elsewhere, uh, legally allowing them to open up a second location in West Virginia. Right, right. So, yeah, which before they could have a brewery here, but they couldn't have a tap room, right? It was their primary residence had to be in West Virginia. Yeah, it was a requirement, then, right? Yeah, but then the catch was even if their primary residence was here, yeah. they still couldn't have the second brewery in the other state. So yeah. it, it was very Insane. convoluted. Insane. Yeah. Uh, and then. But that's good. That's changed now. That's, yeah. That's a yeah. fantastic that, uh, addition, which could lead to new breweries opening here. And God knows we need a couple more. Yeah, I mean. Or uh, 10. Well, and we could think back to all the expansion of. of Breweries on the West Coast coming to the East Coast, and, yeah. and West Virginia was a, a, a black hole because of this this right, uh, law. Right, right. Yeah, they couldn't they, even consider us. They right. couldn't, Stone couldn't consider us. Deschutes couldn't consider no. us. No, nobody could consider us. Uh, and then, for the most part, everybody was kind of none the wiser to it. And meanwhile, we're just banging our head against the wall. And I, I, the second one that I was, uh, uh, yeah, I put guess, a lot of effort. To put it, yeah, to, yeah, to really push was the private outdoor designated area yes which if you're familiar with dora in, in ohio is is basically yeah. an entertainment zone that you could take uh, an open container from a bar restaurant participating in that area and and freely walk within that zone which is previously uh, of course approved by that license or that zoned area so. like the the perimeter itself yeah envision you going to a, a uh, a zoning board and pitching an idea of I want these three blocks and this floor plan extends to all those businesses that want to participate. So this is something that I had pushed immediately when the, the, the lockdown happened. Uh, and it, it didn't really get any traction until we saw how successful Ohio was. Yeah. Cause I mean, even as close as like Portsmouth, don't they have one of those? Uh, yeah. Portsmouth, Chillicothe, Chillicothe. Uh, Kentucky's had it for years. Yeah. Ashland's getting ready to roll that out. Yeah. So cool. I, I reached out to delegate young, uh, and, and I told her, Hey, uh, I'm looking at expanding summit to Ohio and they've got all this stuff that we don't have. Uh, how do, how do we get Dora in West Virginia? And she, she proposed a bill and thankfully, uh, that bill was consumed by the, the broader uh, service industry bill. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I mean, I think that's going to make a difference. It's whether it be in Huntington, Charleston areas, like you've got, what do you call this, Ninth Street here that yeah. you're on, and you, you guys have always had that kind of a zone here. Is that going to change how, uh, like on weekends, they only have it like, what, Friday nights in the summer? Talk a little about what people come to when they come down here on Friday nights. Yeah, I, I, I think we maybe have to back up a little bit with this because um, the the precipice for for pushing 
I guess what we now call POTA, that private outdoor designated area, uh, was Huntington's investment in downtown uh, and its redevelopment of streetscape. Mm -hmm. So we all know uh, if you've been to Huntington, how Greer is being redeveloped. That is going to connect through 4th Avenue to downtown where we are at specifically right now. Mm -hmm. And 9th Street is being redeveloped to allow, um, uh, I guess, the entire area to be pedestrianized. Uh, that's not to mean that it's always going to be pedestrianized. They're, they're putting mechanical bollards in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, so if we're going to commit all this money, all these millions of dollars right. into redeveloping our streetscape, we need to have legislation and, and rules and, and regs that support that, too. Sure, absolutely, uh, so especially for tourism. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and, and, and the last time Huntington tried that pedestrian-only zone here, they didn't have Summit Beer Station down here in Ninth, uh, Ninth Street. Now, it, it was a good thought at the time, <laughs> Charles, but not well executed. Not well executed. No, this time they're, they're adding uh, uh, benches. They're adding uh, uh, a permanent stage on Ninth Street. They're, I mean, the, the investment is, is much more... Um, than what it was it's more entertainment yes. focused i yeah. think yeah and you've got some other good uh, like neighbors here that are doing a great job too that'll help draw a crowd beyond Absolutely. just you yeah yeah uh, so this year some good changes in the law anything you're really targeting a couple of points for next year's legislation uh, and this this is where I get myself in trouble, Charles. Uh, because, I, I hope so. Yeah. So, so down to five pages. Yeah. So. Um, with, with each of these bills that we've passed, we have had just as many, if not more, hiccups uh, in, in interpretations and sure. enforcement. Um, so we're going to try and, and dial some of this stuff back. And, and, and what I mean is that we're, we're getting nickel and dimed. So we've come oh, up fees. with all these, yeah. So we've come up with all these permits. We've come up with all these ways to make our businesses better. But then it's it's a hundred bucks here, two hundred bucks there. Right. Uh, and uh, th that's on the docket. Streamline and, it. Yeah, and and we've we've discovered some things that do not um, follow Chapter 60. If you're familiar with Chapter 60, it's the portion of the state constitution that stipulates yeah. what you can and can't do with alcohol. Well, we we've discovered that. This uh, operational fee of $100 that's been assessed on all alcohol licensees in West Virginia, we discovered in Chapter 60 it says that that can only be assessed one time per calendar year. So if you have three or four alcohol licenses for the last four years, you've paid $400. Wow, well, multiple we, times. Well, we discovered, Extra. We discovered yeah. that in Chapter 60 you should only have been had charged $100. So we're, we're working to... Uh, get those refunds out to people. Yeah, it sounds like Very you need a, a good constitutional lawyer to take that to court if they don't sure. give you the refund. Well, I don't want to give too many secrets away. But I know. We, it, we, we've uh, already had that portion of the Chapter 60 and the legislative ruling of that $100 fee. It's been audited and right. been confirmed that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, that's great news. And I think yeah. for our listeners, too, that those $100 fees are going to the Alcohol Beverage Control Commission, and they don't need money. I mean... It's essentially in in their coffers. Uh, I, th I think in the last uh, broad legislative audit that they had, that, that they've got seven, $17 million in their coffers. Yeah, stashed away. Uh, yeah. And, and much of that is from these operational fees. Right. So we, we need to return that to, to everybody. Exactly. Well... Having said all of that, I think now is probably a good time to take a quick break and let Jeff 
grab that second beer, he's going to highlight from Summit Beer Station's craft beer tap. So let's get that beer poured, and we'll have Jeff describe it. We'll be back in a second. All right, and now we have that beer number two in our glasses. Jeff, can you tell us what we're drinking? You are drinking... Well, okay. Let me... Let me... <laughs> I need all the details for, for this answer. Yes. This is poured from a Lucre faucet, a Czech Pilsner faucet, and it is Von Stefan Pilsner. Uh, and specifically, the pour I gave you is a schnitt. A schnitt. A schnitt. So okay. there, there are specialty pours with the Lucre faucet. And, okay. Uh, the, the, the most traditional is the Hedlinka. It's just your standard quick pour, but I gave you the schnitt, the schnitt. pour. Because it's just uh, half a beer, basically. Ah, <laughs> and Charles say, well, what, said, "What makes that different?" And Charles you, said he didn't want to drink much. So. <laughs> that's that's true. I did ask for uh, some more pour. I'm not doing it at credit. So basically, a, a, a schnitz pour is uh, roughly 60% wet foam and 40% beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's meant to be a, a quick beer, um, something you maybe grab on the way home from work. Um, and uh, I love Von Stefan Pilsner, but I, I love it even more on the Lucre faucet. Well, I'll tell you what, the aroma that came out of that, this glass is amazing. It is quite good. Wow. Well, the, the beauty of the faucet is that it's like driving a, a manual transmission. Ah. I, I, you can control uh, the, the way you pour this beer uh, any number of ways. So when you um, release that, that side pull just at a, the, the sharpest angle, you get pure wet foam. I'm not talking about the foam that you get from a CO2 faucet, and that just dissipates and disappears. Yeah. This is wet foam that has beer inside of it. Densely wet foam. How long have you had this particular ability to pour the way that you'd like? Uh, I I bought two of these faucets uh, shortly after yeah shortly after we opened the beer garden. Okay. Uh, I'd been wanting to bring them in for a long time. It's just that they're so expensive that I, I uh, imagine. Uh, it was hard to pull the pull the trigger on it, but uh, thanks to um, uh, EIDL funds and, and wow. PPP money, uh, we we made some um, equipment upgrades. Nice. Mm. So I'm glad you put some of that PPP money to good use here in Huntington, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. This Especially is a, a delicious beer, beer board. Yeah. So. Uh, Folks, uh, lucre faucets, these side pull draft faucets, there's not many places around West Virginia, certainly in southern West Virginia, that have these. And uh, get out and try them at, if you find them other places, but certainly come to Summit and give that, ask for the, you know, the, the lager that they'll likely have on tap. And uh, Well, Jeff, we've seen a bunch of significant consumer beer tre- trends over the past decade. Uh, I'm going to ask you, though, to look at the big picture and using your vast beer knowledge and your crystal ball, tell me where you see the beer market headed here today. Uh, I I think this is an easy transition. Uh, I I am seeing more and more breweries invest in these these side pole lucre faucets, and specifically with with Czech-style beers that we don't see in the U.S. Uh, And I, I think that it's just the natural riding of the ship after mm-hmm, mm-hmm. smoothie sours and milkshake IPAs mm-hmm. and, and lactose and this. Adjunct and, crazy. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that we kind of return to some of the basics. But yeah. the, the, the basics we're not necessarily familiar with in, in, in this country. Uh, I think we just think of Pilsner Raquel and, and that's that's Czech beer and mm-hmm. that's that's not the case. Uh, so I, I uh, and of course, Charles, you're in Florida all the time. There are a couple of Florida breweries that are really doing this well. 
so yeah. I, 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 I kind of see that expanding out. Yeah. Um, uh, outside of that, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say this, but uh, smoothie sours <laughs> are all <laughs> over the place, and I can't stand them. Uh, I don't want to like them. Uh, most I don't like. Well, but. it's trying to broaden the beer market. I mean, technically, it's it's defined as beer legally. So, yeah. uh, but it doesn't taste like beer, and people who no. aren't fond of the hops no, and, and other a, things. It know. is a good entrance for someone new to craft beer. Yeah. As far as getting them, I mean, I, I agree with you. Sours are not my my favorite style preference, but it is a good introduction to somebody well, new I, to the craft it's not scene. just sours yeah. though Aaron it's these uh, fruited up sweet graham crackers yeah. and vanilla yeah. lactose uh, <laughs> chocolate yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I, I get it like, yeah. you know no, what I I, I, if I we, American beer is known for, for having no rules yeah go for it yeah. Yeah, do your thing yeah. uh, I don't want it <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's trying to build a beer market, and if you're a small brewer and you're looking for something to make your taps pour, uh, you know, and make, ring the cash registers, maybe yeah. you're going to do some of that crazy stuff. You don't have to. A lot yeah. of people choose not to. Uh, but uh, those that do, I can't knock them. I mean, they're in business to make a profit. and Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know. Build a customer base. Style preferences here in West Virginia, though, what's growing, uh, what's declining uh, from what you're seeing or even hearing? Yeah, I, I, I think those kettle sours once again, um, and funny enough, and, and I, I might get raked through the coals for this one too, but we're, we're not selling as much IPA as we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because most people are still saying it's right on top, not necessarily growing anymore, but but still the Still king. selling a lot of Yeah, I, I think that... Um, Maybe the market for that has narrowed, and, and what I mean by that is that the breweries that we have access to in West Virginia now that make really amazing IPAs, uh, I think that that causes people to just funnel their attention to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and and like it, it it it's one thing for Sierra Nevada to make hazy little thing, which is good in its own right. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to get a hold of uh, an equilibrium IPA. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I, I think that some of these these smaller uh, IPA breweries have gobbled up some of that attention, mm-hmm. and so what, right, what right. ends up happening for us is that if we have an equilibrium beer on tap, that, that's all that those people are drinking. They're not they're not branching out and and, and maybe, into other styles. It, well, they're not even they're not even taking the plunge on a West Virginia made New England IPA. It's okay. just well, we know that equilibrium does us right and. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that's probably the case for a lot of West Virginia breweries, too, that, that, that many of these New England IPAs have come dime a dozen, and some of them have uh, just risen to the top. Uh, and But, but I mean, outside yeah. of that, uh, uh, I don't really see, a, like, a slough-off uh, of a particular style. Uh, everybody talks a big game about coming out and drinking stout and porter, but you know, that will sit on tap for a month. Yeah. Most that, of the time. That, that, that's, yeah. that's not a, a trend, but... And I think... Uh, you know, people like Short Story and uh, Stumptown have done very well with uh, an I, uh, IPA-centric kind of uh, sales strategy. And yeah, I, I think Aaron and crew have, have, have knocked it out of the park with that. And as the as the industry um, evolves, devolves, whatever you want to call it, that the if you can make a name for yourself on a particular style of beer, just make that particular style of beer. Yeah. I mean, you, you see this in the rest of the world where... Mm-hmm. Like, lambic breweries, they only make Lambic. Uh, right, right, Flemish right. sour breweries, they only make Flemish sours. Uh, Pilsner breweries in Germany only make Pilsner. Right. So, they, stick to what you name. Yeah. So why why wouldn't that uh, work here? And and, yeah. and and 
And, and I think it is in bigger markets where yeah. they can, like, diversify. I mean, not diversify, but specialize a little more. Yeah. Uh, just the opposite. It, yeah, because they can. They got a big enough market that if you want to be Berry House in Tampa that just makes lagers, you can do that. West Virginia, I know it's a little tougher proposition. There's markets a little bit small. So for a small brewery in West Virginia just to make one styles or two styles of beer, I understand why they think they have to make a little uh, bit of everything. Not not to play devil's advocate, but it, probably Vermonter said the same about the Alchemist and Hill Farmstead too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it is. It, it, I think what brewers, the, the trap they fall into by trying to have something for every taste is that yeah. they make a lot of beers, but they're not good at making yeah. a lot of beers. I mean, it's tough to be an expert at making all the beer styles. And oh, yeah. that's really asking a lot of your brewer, and yeah. that's very tough to achieve. I know I've said this on this podcast before. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my perspective, my, my mode of operation, my just way of doing business is that if you appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody. Right. Yeah. So find an identity for yourself. Yeah. So like for us, it's European beer. Uh, yeah. When I open up the shop, it'll be independently made beer. And uh, maybe that's a good progression, Charles. So do you see trends in beer <laughs> preferences coming faster, lasting a shorter time? Or uh, is that... I, I, don't, I don't see much of the flash in the pan stuff anymore, you know? Like, you know, uh, milkshake IPAs couldn't have died quick enough, and it looks like they're they're maybe finally gone. Uh, yeah, don't hear about them anymore. No, and, and I, I think that's, like, uh, maybe a contributing factor to Duclaw having their struggles that they have now is that mm-hmm. they just yeah. heavily invested in these uh, goofy styles. And you know what? Your staying power of that is pretty limited, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, short term. No. It is. And so I'm just wondering, though, beyond beer style uh, is the overall craft market, and I'm going to include the, the imported market as well as the domestic craft brewers, is growth still realistic for them? Because it seems like nationally we have uh, reached our peak at least. Leveled off a bit. Temporarily uh, for craft. Yeah, I, I think that um, you asked me this question three or four years ago, and, and my answer is much different. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I can't really come up with original questions that often, but it's still know, an important I said, one. I said if, if you, <laughs> you asked me this question. Oh, well, maybe uh, I did. Yeah. I don't um, know. I, our market's still small, so it's not saturated. I, that, that's, that's the bottom line. Sure. Uh, but, but in other markets that are, have been ex- saturated, oversaturated for so many years, that the, the bubble's busting. Well, let's be honest. And we, we see this in the way that... Um, Beer festivals are operating now, mm-hmm. and w- which what I mean by that is that they're not operating anymore. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think that uh, uh, brewers are very careful in the way they expanded their operations. Or, or they, they are probably in much better shape than those that felt that they needed to have locations on, on both coasts and multiple right. tap rooms. I mean, think of modern times. I mean, modern times makes fantastic beer, and yet they couldn't support all their locations. Right. So uh, that's that's some some pretty serious writing on the wall. I think that uh, West Virginia per capita is still we're tiny. Yeah. 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 Uh, toward toward the bottom as far as breweries per, yeah, per population. Yeah. For but, sure. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, my opinion and 
just from looking at this market is that we still have room in many places, certainly in Huntington, and we're going to talk about that in a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. But but I specifically want to know, Jeff, I've heard you've been working on some new projects or maybe some expansions to the Summit Beer Station model. So is there anything that you can tell us about that, those kinds of things that you're thinking about? Yeah, uh, I, I, I've never been a quitter. Uh, I, I, uh, I tried the retail game, uh, many years ago and, and, and that failed for, for, uh, it was like, I remember ex- that. I yeah, went to that store. extenuating <laughs> circumstances there. We, we had some, some troubles with utilities and everything I was making, uh, went to paying Appalachian power. So I, I said, forget this. Uh, we'll open this up when I'm ready. And so we met with some, some like-minded people and, uh, we're going to reopen, uh, the second iteration of my retail store. Oh, no kidding. Uh, that's, uh, that's, and what that's can cool. we expect from that, and when can we expect that? Well, uh, I would have hoped that we had this open two months ago, but uh, time moves pretty slowly in Charleston. Um, no offense to everybody shuffling paperwork around over there. You mean to get a regulatory approval? Yes. Of that. yes. Ah, I mean, so I, paperwork I, issues. Well, as far as the uh, uh, um, Secretary of State's concerned, we've been in operation for the last three months, but we don't have an alcohol license. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but, that's, um, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to pay a, a, um, a prorated fee, and then it just dragged on, and I said forget about it, and we'll be open July 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. So once so, uh, once yeah. you're open, what what can customers expect when they when they come see your second location? So I, I, I still want to invest heavily in European beer, but I, I think this is where I run with West Virginia-made products, uh, and, and many of those products that I don't serve at Summit just because they either contextually don't fit with what we do or we just don't have the, the, the space to make it work. And um, outside of that, I want to get into, um, I hate the word artisanal, but I guess artisanal cider. So we have a bunch of really, really nice Basque Spanish cider coming to West Virginia, like true, dry, great, great world-class cider that's coming. We'll have that on the shelf. Uh, and then I want to get into uh, sustainably made wine as well. Mm, okay. Uh, so a little I, bit of everything. Yeah. I don't want to say just like organic product, but uh, naturally fermented and open fermented. Uh, just more unique items. Yeah, uh, you've been a fan of those kind of wines for a while, I think. Yeah. I think, I, I, I'm a lambic fiend, Charles. Of course, <laughs> I would be interested in that wild fermented wine. Give me that, give me that dirty, dirty terroir. Well, that, that's exciting. And again, you said you're going to be open July. I, I hope by like July 3rd. Um, we won't be open the 4th. <laughs> but yeah, it's, well. yeah, yeah, after that. And that is uh, the new license yeah. year for Yeah, alcohol. July 1, fiscal year yeah. starts. But uh, it's just an inconvenient time because July 1's on Saturday. So And yeah, and the way the yeah. holiday falls. But um, so obviously you mentioned shelf products. Are you going to have uh, draft taps or is it just going to be shelf products you know i didn't even think cold about box uh, products. talking about this but that's a good question because part of the uh bill that we worked on for the service industry was creating a food court bill or food court permit uh and what this uh does is it allows multiple business owners in west virginia to, to be under the same roof and that doesn't have to be just alcohol uh mm-hmm. and one of which uh those of those business owners has to be a i guess full service restaurant so We've got a restaurant component over there. So at some point, you'll be able to come into the Progress Building where we're located uh, next to City Hall. And, and come that's in. Uh, Progress Building in downtown Huntington. Yes, 418 8th Street. And you'll be able to come in, have a beer, walk around, go get a bite to eat, uh, and visit all the shops. 
Um, but uh, I don't want to put a timeline on that because uh, you know how red tape works. Well, the Huntington metro area is the largest in population of any metro area on the western side of West Virginia. But Huntington currently has only one craft brewery in operation. Jeff, what do you see as the reasons that the Huntington area has been so slow to develop a more vibrant brewery culture? Oh, man, you're going to have to uh, have me put my sociology hat on, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that there's a learned fatalism to living in this part of the state. And I, 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 I throw Charleston in that, too, that, that we, we expect to not have good things. So by way of that, we, we have a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't have those good things because we don't expect to have them in the first place. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I, I never take no for an answer. And so I, I, I got what I wanted out of this, but I don't want to open up a brewery. Uh, uh, we, we've, we've um, yeah, we've, we've failed in this regard. Yeah. I mean, for, a, for a metro of, what, roughly 300,000 people, largest right. in the state, uh, it's the... It leaves a bit to be desired. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, do you see any possibilities? I mean, I know we've been talking a long time about on the west side of Huntington, maybe a brewery coming, but yeah. I mean, it, it, still nothing's happened. I mean, we've got Jason Beater up in Barbersville that's, that's going to open a yeah. little, but a very little tiny place. But this is great. I mean, that's the Huntington Metro. I just wondered, do you see, though, the possibilities of any momentum picking up there? Yeah, I, I, I was in Asheville a few weeks ago and you know, chatting with John. Um, uh, with Lookout Brewing. Uh, yeah, who, who's talked about coming in here to the Huntington's uh, West Side. The property's purchased. I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, you know how the rumor mill works. And, mm-hmm. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the reason that, that Durton hasn't moved over there, to the best of my knowledge, is because of the restrictions on, on John living in, in Asheville and not being a permanent resident of West Virginia. Right. right. So he couldn't legally open up uh, anything here yeah. uh, for, uh, in terms of brewing. So... I think it's coming. And it's but just, I, I thought that law got changed. That yeah, was just part of that bill. Like with, within the last month. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, just yeah, gone into effect. Yeah. So he yeah, couldn't so, have done it beforehand. Correct. Right? Yeah. And um, uh, that was the main reason to get that push in that bill, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, that, that we, here we have somebody from another state, from a like the beer capital of, of the East Coast, and they want to invest in this this area, and, and, and yeah, and, and the property's purchased. Like everything, like they've they've mitigated the they they've everything. Like it's it's ready to roll, right. and and they couldn't do anything, couldn't invest any more money because of uh, uh, our stupid rules and regulations in this state. Right. Uh, I, I I think to to maybe get away from one of the negative uh, things. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who is is actually behind Charles right now, Patrick Hensley. Uh, and myself, uh, we we have uh, talked to another West Virginia brewery to try to bring a tap room here to Huntington. So oh, nice. Uh, that that's uh, well, we've talked about that since maybe February, if I remember right. So hopefully I, there's I, progress I, there. Yeah, I, I don't. Let me get this straight. I don't want to brew. I don't want to oversee anybody brewing. So sell me your beer and I'll open your tap room. <laughs> no, I think that's important. The industry, whether it be retail or wholesale or, or certainly manufacturing. We need to work together to get more breweries mm-hmm. open. And I know maybe some of the current breweries in West Virginia would say, oh, oh we don't want any more competition, but yeah. the ones who distribute and stuff. But really, there's a great market here in the size of these communities. 
yeah. with the amount of beer they drink. West Virginians drink a lot of beer. We we're mid-pack in we how much beer yeah. we consume per capita, but we're way in the low side of uh, how much local beer mm-hmm. we drink per capita. Yeah. I, I think the other attractive feature to Huntington is, is uh, it's it's more densely populated than than Charleston. Yeah, than yeah, Charleston. In particular. It's, it's like twice as densely populated. No offense to Charleston. <laughs> no, but I mean Huntington uh, Metro certainly includes parts of Kentucky and Ohio. Oh, I just mean uh, population per per square mile. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, we have more people living in downtown Huntington than probably uh, oh, most downtowns in West Virginia. So uh, my my statement here is that you invest in downtown Huntington, you have a baked-in population that, that is likely to come see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been impressed with your Huntington uh, political administration, the mayor's office or whoever runs things, city council, because they've done a great job with blocking off these streets every weekend in the summer, and you've yeah. got these beautiful little entertainment zones where you guys are out on the street selling your beers and other people maybe selling other things. I don't know what they're But anyway, it's just a crowd comes out. That's been going on for a few years here. Yeah, then and on any given night you can come out and, and see live music and drink in public. <laughs> <laughs> drink in public. You know, I love it. Well, before we close this podcast, I am very curious to hear your read on which West Virginia breweries are doing the best job. And I want you to include not only those that are brewing the best beer, but also the ones that are doing the best in a business sense at getting beer to you that's fresh and fairly priced for the style and the quality that it is. So start with who's making some standout beer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to seem like a very, very old man by, by saying this. And, <laughs> and hopefully this gets me some cred. But uh, Short Story released a Maybach that like blew me away. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> this is not what uh, most of your listeners want to hear. Yeah, yeah like uh, you haven't as as sold, that, you don't sell yeah. much of that. You know? Yeah, as far as style There's preference. There's this awesome but, Maybach. But hey, you uh, know what? That's good. No, that's good to hear that, yeah. that you actually enjoyed that. Yeah. That's yeah, all it on tap in their Charleston tap room. So. Yeah, yeah I, I, I took a four-pack home last time I was at the, the Charleston tap room. Uh, I thought that was uh, a really, really nice yeah. West Virginia-made lager. Um, I mean, as far as uh, uh, just hand-selling stuff, uh, I, it's, it's all the usual suspects, you know. I mean, weather, weather grounds out grinding as they do, and... Uh, um, I get a I contact every week from Bad Shepherd, and good. Um, I, I think that some of the uh, brews who have signed, like High Ground, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they yeah were, signed recently. Mean. Yeah, they're still sending me emails. They're still keeping yeah. me up to date. Big Timber, much the same. I got a yeah. uh, an email from Wayne yesterday, uh, just keeping me up to speed. So, I, I I think that there's a lesson to 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 learn from this for West Virginia. Uh, standpoint is that if you sign with a wholesaler, get, keep a keep somebody on your staff sure. to, to hitting the pavement. Continue to right. to reach out to retailers. Yeah, and I think that is so true. Very and, important. And it's something that small breweries, not just in West Virginia, but a lot of places, they think they can just uh, put stuff in distribution through a distributor, and then it's off their hands, and the distributor will sell it for them. But they don't remember or always think that that distributor might have a hundred different brands that are exactly the same almost as what they're, they've got. And they can't go out here and represent you like you would. It's just not going to happen. And so if you don't have somebody out here on your own staff as a small brewery out working your distribution, it's not you're not going to find the success nine times out of ten anyway that you'd like. No disagreement. 
Well, we've got to wrap this podcast up, guys. Uh, Jeff McKay, I want to thank you so much for sharing your observations on our local beer market and for doing such a great job promoting craft beer here in southern West Virginia. Yeah, I, I definitely echo that sentiment. Jeff, appreciate you taking the time with us, and it was a great time interviewing you in your beautiful beer garden. So thanks again for being on West Virginia Beer Roads. Thank you, guys. So for Aaron McCoy, this is Charles Bachway saying we've enjoyed our time with you today. And while we're at Summit Beer Station in Huntington, West Virginia, and exploring the West Virginia Beer Roads. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.